Welcome to House of Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message from this past Sunday. For more information about other messages or events at House of Hope, visit www.ihope.today. This morning, I want to spend some time um, on talk about forgiveness. Um, forgiveness is one of those tenant things that Jesus talks about. Jesus did a lot on, um, you know, Paul talks about forgiveness a lot. There's the theme of forgiveness actually runs through the entire Bible. Oh, it's something often I think we, we tend to avoid because of the own hurt that is in our own lives. And, um, and so I'm just going to touch on a few things. And I want to talk a little bit about um, some lies that actually may keep us in unforgiveness. That makes sense. So if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew 5, 21. We're going to start with that. And we're just going to kind of go on a little bit. So the verse 21 says, You're familiar with the commandment that the older generation was taught. Do not murder or you will be judged. But I'm telling you, and this is what Jesus, Jesus is talking here, I'm telling you, if you hold anger in your heart towards a fellow believer, you are subject to judgment. And whoever demeans and insults a fellow believer is answerable to the congregation. And whoever calls down curses upon a fellow believer is in danger of being sent to the Gehenna of fire. I'm going to pause there. Do you guys know what the Gehenna is? Is what? Well, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's actually not there anymore. Actually, what Jesus was referring to, we always think is we, the translation is hell. And actually, what it was, it was Gehenna was a place outside of Jerusalem where they burned the garbage. And it was a, it was a, it was a, uh, a metaphor for, for hell, however that looked. Now, our 20th, 21st century definition of what hell is, is not what Jesus was talking about. And I'm not going to go into this. I'm not going to go into a, you know, do I believe in hell? I'm, I'm not talking about that. I'm not, there's, there's different beliefs of what hell is. But Jesus was actually referring to this valley of Gehenna, which was a, a garbage pit that was consistently on fire because they were burning their garbage. That was also the location of where they did child um, sacrifices back in Second Chronicles. Yeah. We're in uh, Matthew 5:21 to right. So in Second Chronicles 33:6, um, it talks about children being um, sacrificed to the god of Molech, and it was in that place. So there's this picture of if you are actually cursing your brother or your sister, if you're calling down curses, you're actually going to they would take you away and, and you'd be burned. Um, still not a pleasant. It's dark. It is. Yeah, wow, it just got dark. But anyway, verse 23 says, So then, if you are presenting a gift before the altar, and this is where we want to get to. Um, so then, if you are presenting a gift before the altar in the temple, and suddenly you remember a quarrel you have with a fellow believer, leave your gift there in front of the altar and go once to apologize with the one who is offended. And after you have reconciled, come, reconciled sorry, come to the altar and present your gift. But it's almost like like there's two completely, one is like 
so dark and so like, yeah, I'm not going to curse a fellow believer. And then it's like, well, if you have a gift, just make sure you don't give it and go reconcile. You guys kind of see that? Like, it's like one is really dark and one's like, what's the big deal? And I think what Jesus is doing here is actually showing us the extreme, um, extremes, extremities, extremes of what forgiveness looks like. It's like he's saying, like, if you're so mad, if you're so angry that you're literally wanting to curse your, your brothers and sisters, then you're actually in, dangers, in danger of the, the flames of hell. Or if, you, if you're actually in church and you, you want to come and you worship, then here's your gift. And, oh, wait, I, I, I have something against my fellow, my fellow brother or sister. I, I'm just going to go and, and I'm going to make that right. So, so angry, curses. I have a gift I want to give. I can't do it until I make it right. But Jesus is showing the, the, how big forgiveness actually is in the life of anybody. Really, it's, it, forgiveness isn't constrained to the Christian faith. Not, you don't have to be a Christian to forgive. In fact, kingdom says you just forgive. Whether we believe in Jesus or not. Right? That might smoke some of your socks, but at the same time, it's just, it's just forgiveness is an act that we need to do. So, um, I feel like Jesus was actually saying, unless we forgive, we will be locked into our own version of hell. Right? There's, there's, there's the definite, and we're not going to talk about hell, this is not that point, but how many of us know people who have not been able to forgive? Right? How many of us are like, I, I just, it's, it, it's amazing what happens when, when forgiveness is not, when we don't release it. I want to tell you, I want to read a story. What happens is that we get offended, we get hurt, we get, something happens to us. And, you know, we're walking along, or actually it's not even walking along, like we're in situations in our life, and we get hurt. And all of a sudden, unforgiveness, we have the opportunity to forgive or not, and unforgiveness kicks in, and we get a new set of lenses. And those lenses of hurt and unforgiveness and bitterness and anger are all of a sudden clouding everything that we see. And so somebody could come up to you and say, hey man, you look really good today. How are you doing? What do you mean by that? You mean that I'm, we get offended, we just get snarly, we get prickly. Because everything that we're seeing comes through the lenses of unforgiveness, of hurt, of bitterness, of anger. And, 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 we can, and nothing happens. And until we actually deal with this and take it off and go, oh, how could I have been so stupid? And we, then, these have to come off. In June of 1973, Loretta Yeager went camping in the Badlands National Park with her husband Bill and their five children. As they slept in their tents one night, their seven-year-old daughter Susie was kidnapped. Marietta suffered all the pain and emotional turmoil as you would expect in such a nightmare situation. In the days immediately following the abduction, she was surrounded by people who talked about their kidnapping. Or she was surrounded by people who 
talked about the kidnapper in venomous terms, routinely characterizing him as inhuman, even though his identity and gender were still a mystery. Despite this climate of anger and vengeance, something inside Moretta began to shift as the days of waiting turned into weeks. As reported in the May June 1998 issue of Health Magazine, Moretta heard a voice. What Moretta heard was God telling her, I don't want you to feel this way. As she pondered the message, the weight of her chest seemed to lift and her stomach relaxed, and she fell into her first deep sleep since Susie had vanished. This was the beginning of her commitment to releasing her anger and finding a path for forgive- to forgiveness. One year after the abduction, the kidnapper called Marietta's home, Marietta's home. Because she had used the intervening months praying for forgiveness, searching within the strength to find the humanity buried somewhere within the kidnapper, she was able to convey a genuine empathy as she spoke to him. Despite the obvious risks to the kidnapper, Marietta kept him on the phone for more than an hour, ultimately providing the FBI with enough information to locate and capture him. His name was David Merhofer. He had abducted and killed other children. In FBI custody, he confessed to murdering Susie Yeager a week after taking her from her home in Kent. A few hours later, he committed suicide. Given Merhofer's horrific revelation, it would be understandable for Marietta to abandon the course of abandon the course of forgiveness. Her husband never let go of his anger. He died of a heart attack at 56 after suffering for years with bleeding ulcers. But Marietta stayed the course. She began traveling around the country to speak with others about forgiveness, sharing her experience. Even she even befriended the kidnapper's mother, Eleanor Huppert. She and Huppert went together to visit the graves of their children. The health article continues. Afterwards, the two mothers sat at Huppert's dining room table, sipping coffee and thumbing through old scrapbooks. There was David on the front porch, a rosy-cheeked little boy, scrubbed and eager to set out for his first day of school. As she studied the smiling boy in the snapshot, Marietta felt that her struggle to invest the faceless criminal with humanity was complete. You remain vindictive. Give the offender another victim, she says. Anger, hatred, and resentment would have taken my life as surely as Susie's life was taken from me. It's amazing. I don't know how I would respond if... You know, I just don't know how I would respond. I think, you know, none of us want to be put in those positions where we are, are forced to respond. And this is a, a high, heinous, absolutely extreme situation. And yet these situations happen all the time where people find the ability to forgive their offenders for such a crime. I mean, if you, how many have read The Shack, right? I mean, obviously, it's an allegory, it's a, it's a metaphor to what had actually happened, but the things in that book were based on reality. And, and the author, has the author William Young, had actually found places in his heart where he needed to forgive people who had abused him. Jesus himself, on the cross, right? He said, Father, forgive them, they, they don't know what they're doing. And I'm thinking of all these amazing situations, amazing in the sense of, of blow your mind, kind of like these are nasty, dark situations. And we all have stories to tell. 
experiences that we walk in that actually require us to walk a life of forgiveness. And the kindest, gentlest, most amazing people that we come into contact with have actually had to make those choices to forgive. And the fruit of forgiveness is kindness, gentleness. Maybe it's even all of the fruits of the Spirit. And we're going, wow, these people, like, these people are so nice. But they all have a story to tell. When we don't forgive, when we, when we fail to forgive someone or something, someone, Joyce Meyer said it's like taking poison yourself, like drinking deadly poison and thinking the other person is going to die. There's a lot of, a lot of, un, um, un, uh-oh, brain is about to derail. There is a lot, there is a lot of misunderstanding of what forgiveness is. And I believe that, that, that misunderstanding of what forgiveness is actually holds us, allows us to, to actually continue to walk in this unforgiveness. And so I want to go into um, a couple of, of, of lies, actually five lies, um, about what that could keep us trapped in unforgiveness. And also, before I want to do that, I wanted to read something. I'm going to find it in my notes because I've been babbling and my notes don't work. <laughs> well, I haven't been babbling, but now I'm babbling. Anyway, let's look at Matthew 18. Matthew 18, 21, it says, Later, Peter approached Jesus. Which I'm thinking at this point, Jesus was going, oh, here he comes. Because Peter is such a lovable, quiet, unassuming man, level-headed, yeah. But Peter, later Peter approached Jesus and said, how many times do I have to forgive my fellow believers who keeps offending me? Which is kind of funny because he was probably one of the most offensive of the disciples. So how many times, Jesus? Seven times? And Jesus answered, not seven times, Peter, but 70 times, seven times. So if you watch VeggieTales, 490. The lessons of forgiveness in heaven's kingdom's realm can be illustrated like this. There was once a king who had servants who had borrowed money from the, loyal, from the royal treasury. He decided to settle accounts with each of them, and he began the process that came to his attention that one of the servants owed him one billion dollars. So he summoned the servant, servant before him and said to him, Pay me what you owe me. And the servant was unable to repay his debt. The king ordered that he be sold as a slave, along with his wife and children, and every possession they owned as payment towards, towards his debt. I'd like to know what the guy did with a billion dollars. And then it was gone. And he couldn't repay it. Like, I mean, what the heck? Anyway, when the servant was at, um, where was it? Verse 26, the servant threw himself face down at the master's feet and begged for mercy. Please, 
Be patient with me. Just give me more time and I will repay all that I owe. This blows my mind again because it's like a billion dollars. Upon hearing his pleas, the king had compassion on his servant and released him and forgave his entire debt. No sooner had the servant left than he met one of his fellow servants who owed him $20,000. He seized him by the throat and began to choke him, saying, You better pay me right now everything you owe me. His fellow servant threw himself face down at his feet and begged, Please, please be patient with me. If you just give me time, I will repay all that you, all that is owed you. But the one who had his debt forgiven stubbornly refused to forgive what was owed him. He had his fellow servant thrown into prison, and, and he demanded he remain there until he had repaid his debt in full. Like, how is he going to repay his debt when he's in prison? Right? It's just like, he's like, but he's there for life, right? He's there. Verse 31 says, when the associates, there's always somebody watching. <laughs> When the associates saw what was going on, they were outraged, and they went to the king, and they told him the whole story. When the king said to him, you scoundrel, is this the way you respond to my mercy? Because you begged me, I forgave you the massive debt you owed me of a billion dollars. Why didn't you show the same mercy to your fellow servant that I showed you? In a fury of anger, the king turned him over to the prison guards to be tortured until all his debt was repaid. Talk about a pound of flesh, right? It's like... I'm going to stand on my, there's, is there kids here? No? It's like, I mean, I'm going to peel the skin right off your body for, and you're going to pay. Like, that just, that just sounds so nasty. But in a fury of anger, he did that. In the same way, um, in the same way, Jesus is saying, my Heavenly Father will deal with any of you if you do not release forgiveness from your heart towards your fellow believer. Wow. At that point, you would think, you know, upon reading this, it's like, wow, God, you're getting dark. <laughs> like, Jesus is going to do that to us if we don't forgive? Well, I'm not a literalist. I don't, like, sometimes you read the Bible and you think that's literal and that's figurative and that's an allegory and that's an, right? So, that's good. But the allegory is like he's not going to torture us until we forgive. But the fact that we don't forgive draws us into a place where we are tortured. Because those things that drive us, again, it's the lenses. And if I put on a lens of unforgiveness, I can't get out of it. I have to actually be confronted. And people have to come to you and say, look, you are being an ass. Literally, like, uh, I don't want to be rude. But you're, like, you're acting this way. You're, you're wrong. Remember a few weeks ago I said, like, have you ever been so right about something and you're convinced you were so right and it took two or three people actually to show you how wrong you were? That's the process of taking the lenses off. Because you see everything through these, these filters of unforgiveness. And so when Jesus said to Peter, you need to do it unfor- like 490 times, was it on the 491st time? He said, okay, no, I, I don't have to forgive you. No, it, it's like, just do it. But some of the lies, um, some of the lies that keep us in unforgiveness, and I actually got these from Chris Valentin. He's one of my heroes. And not everybody often 
not everybody agrees with him sometimes, oftentimes, um, but he's a man who is, who is, has changed, and, and we've been associated with Bethel for about 10 years now, personally, and the change that even I have seen in Chris is amazing because he allows these filters to be taken off. And so, so I, I undeniably stolen some of his, his, uh, his stuff. Well, this isn't me. This is Chris. But if you don't like it, blame him. <laughs> Just kidding. <laughs> so he says, I don't believe that anyone wants to intentionally live enslaved to the shackles of unforgiveness that brings torment to their life. So why do people live in a lifestyle of bitterness? I propose that these five lies are the contributors to being imprisoned to offense. So the first lie, if you believe that you forgive, you won't receive justice for your pain. And I've heard that time and time again. It's like, well, I can't forgive because that means I'm letting them off the hook. By that point, by that statement, if you say, if I forgive them, I'm letting them off the hook, you are actually placing yourself into the position of judge and saying that your sin against me is greater than my ability to release you and I will not release you. And I'm going to condemn you to whatever justice you feel is necessary. But then it comes back on us. This is part of the root of, of, of people saying, well, you can't judge me because you're going to be judged. Well, no, I can judge you. I'm not afraid of being judged. If you're doing something stupid, if you're doing something wrong, we can say you're doing something wrong. Right? If you're doing something right, we can say you're doing something right. It's called accountability. We're accounting for each other's ability, not holding each other uh, others, holding each other captive for something you didn't do. But when something happens that our hearts are broken, then we say, no, I can't forgive. You're actually putting yourself into the judge, into the judge's chair. The truth is that arrogance can bind, blind you to the fact that you too have failed God and others. Justice was settled at the cross. The whole point of what Jesus, not the whole point, but one of the things that Jesus did at the cross was that he actually paid the price. And, and so we, we just let it go. The, the person who offended you person who hurt you, if you can release them, you're not saying, I'm not, I, I'm not going to, what you're saying, sorry, is I'm not going to judge you, but I'm going to leave that to the Father. And you're trusting the Father to say, you, you, you deal with it. You're merciful. I can't. I'm not that merciful. Line number two, you think that your unforgiveness is someone else's trespass, justifies it, sorry, you think that your unforgiveness of someone else's trespass justifies your own bad behavior. Can I read that again? You think that your unforgiveness of someone else's trespass justifies your own bad behavior. Ouch. So many times we get hurt and then we act out and we say, oh, that's okay. They hurt me so I can do this. I can be an absolute jerk to that person because, well, they hurt me. But see, what happens is your heart and your, your, your character, who you are, is actually being transformed, not by the renewing of your mind, 
but the bitterness in your heart, and you start acting out to everybody. Why is that guy such a jerk? He's a, I don't know. He's been a jerk like that for 30 years. He's a jerk to everybody. That's just the way he is. So I would probably go back and see what caused that, and his actions of unforgiveness are probably um, causing his character to believe that you forget. If you forgive, you will have to trust the person who violated you. Anybody ever considered that before? Happens a lot. Especially within the church. I got hurt. I need to forgive them. Nope. I can't forgive them. Why not? Because I, I don't trust them. No, 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 no. Forgiveness is not indicative of trust. Trust is earned. You know, you get, if, if, if I hurt Deanne on a consistent level, then that's an issue. And I would have to stop what I was doing and earn her trust again. But forgiveness, she would have to release forgiveness. Because she doesn't want to live in the prison that I potentially live. Does that make sense? But trust is always earned. We, we get into these, I've heard this many times in the church is that there's that condition of forgiveness and it is in its trust. Well, no. Like I just, I'm just going to say, I keep saying it, I'm repeating myself, that you do not have to trust anybody. You do not have to trust anybody. You do have to forgive. Now, the more you can trust, the better your relationship will be. And I'm not saying, you, you know, that's final. That's not a, you don't trust, but you have to forgive. Like, I'm not saying that. But forgiveness isn't based on trust. By forgiving somebody, by releasing them from the offense, you can actually then clear the clear the field and begin to look for ways that you can trust them, or you may never trust them. Like that's that's just a fact. That's just the way it is. Is it God's heart? No, I don't think so. Trust is earned or granted as a privilege. Not a demand put on you by the violator. Line number four. You are convinced that your feelings are your convictions. It's the lie that keeps us in unforgiveness. You are convinced that your feelings are your convictions. This is this is a dusty one. Because so often we're taught that, well, I feel this, I feel that, I feel this, and I feel that. I feel like, I feel, feel, I feel. And we were talking earlier about, you know, millennials, very much, they're a feeling generation. It doesn't make them right, though. Feelings don't make you right. Your feelings don't make it right. You know what I mean? It's like, I feel some days I wake up in the morning and, I, and I, I feel like I need to go back to bed. Or I feel like I don't want to go into the office. I feel like I don't want to do, you know, what I, what are some of the things that I, you know, and if I let my feelings guide me, nothing would get done. I feel like being lazy. Oh, I just want to do it. 
truth is that is your convictions dictate your feelings, not vice versa. Your convictions dictate your feelings. That's who you are. Your convictions. This is who I stand for. I I love whatever your convictions are. This is who I am. I don't feel like that today. Okay. I'm going to do it anyway. How many of you wives have woken up some mornings and you feel like you want to kill your husband? (laughs) Ashley, excellent. We have one honest person. But we don't follow through on our feelings. (laughs) Okay? (laughs) How many husbands have felt that, wow, my life is over because of I just turned 50 and whatever. Right? I'm being extreme. But feelings don't dictate who we are. We can't allow our feelings to do that. Forgiveness is not an emotional choice based on feelings. Forgiveness is an act of our wills. It's like marriage. It's love. It's like love. Love is not just an act. It's not just a feeling. I had several weddings that I did this last summer and and, and most of them, I think I said, like, you guys will not remember this day. In 25 years, you most likely will not remember the, the nitty-gritty of this ceremony. But in 25 years, what you will have done was committed to each other as an act of your will and saying, I will love you even when the feelings are gone. I'm sure Jesus wasn't feeling a whole lot of love as they, uh, as they stripped and they whipped and they tore the flesh off of his back. But the love that he showed was an act of his will. The feeling wasn't there. You know, slash, whip, cut. Didn't feel good. Yet he chose. So it's up to us to choose that it's, it's a daily act of our will to love and to forgive. We're going to be confronted daily with with things that go on in our lives that we have to forgive. Otherwise, the filters go on and we get stunted because we can't see. It's like beer goggles, right? You guys know what beer goggles are? How come? (laughs) Well, then the fifth lie: you are still in emotional pain from the person wronged you, so you believe you can't forgive until you have worked through all of your wounds. Huge. Huge. You have to, oh, I've got to get through all my stuff. I've got to have a list. And they have a meeting. I've got to have a meeting with this person because they've, they've hurt me and they've hurt me and I just, can't, I just can't let it go. I just can't let it go. Well, it's not between you and the person. It's actually between you and your own heart. Take your list. And then go, where's the list? Father, I forgive so-and-so. And I'm going to work through this process. But each point is I forgive them. And the more we can declare it, because we believe in declaration, right? Because we're transformed by the renewing of what? Our minds. Say minds. Minds. We're renewing and our beliefs. So I can actually, like, I have to forgive my dad, my, my natural father. There's a bunch of things. But I remember I was about 12 years old, and, and he was um, disabled. 
with MS. He was all crippled up. He, could bear, he couldn't walk, couldn't move. He was basically quadriplegic because of MS. And, and I walk, I remember walking into his room. We were there visiting. My sister and I were visiting him. And, and I had a choice to remember. You know, I'd only been a Christian for a couple of years, and I didn't know him. But I remember thinking, I need to forgive my dad, because in the first 10 years of my life, there had been massive amounts of abuse. Right? I've shared some of my story with you over, over the years, but I remember that walking in and seeing him there and thinking, I think I didn't think this, but I look back now and I'm like, he has he had created his own personal hell because of the things that went on in his life. And I look back now and I go, wow, he had done a lot of things that was wrong, but I had to choose to forgive. So there was a there was here's some I don't know who I was talking to afterwards, but they said, You just you need to forgive your dad. And I'm like, Yeah, I guess I do. I'd forgive my dad. He says, Well, can you can you think of something that you need to forgive him for? And I said, yeah, I, I, I got a list. And they're like, okay, well, well, let's start at the top. What do you need to forgive him for? I said, well, there was a time that he, he beat me with a cane. I was eight years old, and he, he took a, he couldn't, he was, he was still walking, but I had spilled some chocolate powder on the floor. And he'd come in, and he said, you didn't clean that up, and, and just right across my back. And so that was the last time, actually, he laid a finger on me, because when my mom came home, all hell broke loose, because she saw the pain mark. Because you need to forgive him for that. And I said, okay. And I could remember the, the pain, or the pain mark. And I said, okay, so Father, forgive my dad for beating me. And did the pain go away? Something changed in my heart because that I did have to redo it quite a few times. And I was so thankful that even this was in the in the eighties that whether it's psychologists or whatever counselors even then knew the power of forgiveness of walking people through forgiveness because there was a list of things I had to redo. You know, I had to go back, and I was eighteen. And another thing came up was that he loved my sister more than he did me. And I went to my mom and I said, hey, mom, this is a funny thing. Um, did dad love Brian more than he loved me? Mom just kind of, if you knew my mom, she, um, you know, she doesn't want to deal with anything. But she said, yeah, he did. You and your dad had an amazing relationship until she was born. And when she was born, he became their favorite child. And he felt it. And I was like, oh, okay. He says, why do you ask? I said, oh, I just came up. And I just, you know, I'm just thinking about it. And so here we are, 30-something years later. And think of my dad and be sad for the choices that he made. But they don't affect me. I can speak freely about it. Because forgiveness was a process of over 30 years. And every once in a while, something would come up, I'm like, oh, it's not there again. Okay, no, I forgive him. I release him. He's been dead for 25 years. 
it's not something that breaks me or causes me to be in, 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 in bondage. The process of working through out throughout your wounds is you're wounded. I, you're, I get it. But to, to release, to, to get out of the prison that you have, it is a process of forgiveness. You know, it could be something that your kids did to you. It could be something that you did to your kid. You know, dads, I want to say dads, many moms, I can only speak as a dad. You know, one of the lies that the enemy will come to you and say is that you were not good enough. That you are not a good enough dad to your kids and you have caused their own dysfunction. I get that almost every day. Seriously. I woke up this morning. The little whisper was, you screwed up your kids. I love my kids. I, you know, maybe a little bit Andrew because he was practice child number one, but we're working on it. But those lies that can come in and all of a sudden we start harboring stuff, we need to deal with it on a daily basis. We need to keep what accounts with each other. You know, when something happens, we go like, hey, are we okay? Are, are we Are we all right? Because I'm feeling some tension. I'm feeling something. I'm whatever it is. And that's where that, where Jesus said, lay your, your, your gift on the altar. I said this a few weeks ago. Where it says, we don't have a temple where we go to anymore to worship. We are the temple. It just makes it more inward that we actually have to start dealing with our, if I want to give a gift to the Father, he's going to say, you have anything in your heart against anybody? Is there any forgiveness you need to release? Do you need to talk to somebody? Did you, did you tick off your wife this morning? Unten- intentional. I never do that. I never do that. Just saying. Not here. Okay. Yeah. Next week I'm going to talk about lying. Anyway. But does that make sense? I want, to, I want to give you that. <clears throat> and in closing, I just want us to just to do a little bit of an application. And I want the Holy Spirit just to begin to, I think what he's been doing, even as I've been speaking, he's bringing to mind maybe some areas that we need to release to him in forgiveness. And I'm not saying you need to go to the person who offended you and say, you know that time that you kicked me in the head and you were playing soccer? I forgive you for that. And you're like, oh, that was me. Anyway, we, we've done that. We've, we've been in the services where, I, where the pastor, the leader, or whoever's leading the services says, now go to the person that, that offended you and tell them. Like, no. This is between you and the Holy Spirit. If you have an offense in your heart, time to let it go. And I want to take us through um, just a quick exercise five minutes, and begin that process of how to release it, right? So just close your eyes. I was going to ask you to stand, but that's me. just want you to close your eyes. And I want the Holy Spirit, Holy Spirit, I just invite you to bring to mind an area of our heart that we need to release.
us. He brings that to mind. I'm going to read something. I want you to fill in the blank as I read it. You can, in your head, in your heart, you can allow it if you want to. That's fine. It's Father God, thank you for forgiving me of all my sin. Because of your forgiveness, I also forgive. And in your mind, the person that you need to forgive, name that person. I forgive you for the lies the enemies brought to me as a result of your actions or words. The Holy Spirit, tell me the lies that I believe about myself. Tell me the lies that I believe about my relationships. Tell me the lies that I believe about my marriage view of motherhood or fatherhood. Name those lies. Think of those lies. Tell me the lies that I believe about you, Father. Now show me anything that I am believing that I need to ask forgiveness about and release forgiveness to. Now think of this person that you are having to forgive. Name them and say, I forgive you for bringing fear to my life. And ask the Holy Spirit what that fear is. Oftentimes unforgiveness creates fear. And then name the person and say, I forgive you for opening the door. Think of the fears. Picture that as, as you name those things, picture the door being closed. Actually picture yourself pushing that door closed by the power of the Spirit, the power of Jesus. And in your heart, thank the Holy Spirit for showing you what that door was, what that area of unforgiveness was. Holy Spirit, thank you for the ability to forgive the person. And I forgive in the person, right? In the person, I forgive you for all the effects of the pain and the suffering that I've had to deal with throughout my life because of what you Just quietly in your heart, just pray and bless that person. so touch who we are 
out of this little big medium-sized exercise, however it is, affected us. Father, you are so concerned with us that you want to see us set free. We love you for that. We bless your name and we bless you for the amount of healing that we can walk out of this place. Lord, we just say the lies that we've been believing about unforgiveness, we just say no. We ask, Holy Spirit, that you would continue to show us what the truth is and so that those filters that we have been walking in all of our lives would actually be ripped off our face and that we would actually see the kingdom in a new way and see your character in a brand new, clear way and we would see the people around us in a brand new, clear way knowing that their process is different than ours and that who they are because of maybe things that have happened in the past and we're going to love them regardless. Regardless of what hurt walking through, regardless of anything that has come our way. We give that to you, Father. Jesus. Thanks for listening to our Sermon of the Week. Our desire is that you will be changed by the love of the Father and the power of his presence. For more information about House of Hope, visit us at www.ihope.today.